Welcome to the Squares and Sharps betting show. I am your host, Karin Batia. We have a fantastic combat sports weekend on tap, and we are going to be breaking it down with some of the best experts and minds in the game. But first, we are sponsored by squaresandsharps.com. It's sports betting apparel and gear. It's what winners wear. Check it out. So we will be breaking down UFC 253. Of course, the middleweight title, Adesanya versus Costa. We're back to Fight Island. We're going all the way to Abu Dhabi. And we're going to break down the entire card. There's a bunch of fascinating matchups on that fight. And we are going to be talking to some experts and breaking it down. And we have a ton of boxing this weekend. First up, we got Chavez Sr. and Chavez Jr. They're gonna be fighting from Mexico. We're gonna talk about those fights. Then we have Josh Taylor from London. That's gonna be on ESPN+. And then, of course, our main event, we got the Charlo Twins. It's a unique double header pay-per-view on Showtime. We're gonna break down those main events because they are facing risky, tough opponents. These are these are tough fights. This isn't showcase fights. These are fights that uh, anything could happen. And we're gonna break down the odds. We're gonna look at prop bets. We're gonna find you spots for value on that card. And lastly, the cruiserweight title. It's the World Boxing Super Series, and that's from Germany. We're gonna talk about those fights as well. So I have assembled a panel of guests to discuss these fights. First up. Dan Tom, you know him as Dan Tom MMA on Twitter. He's an MMA analyst for MMA Junkie and USA Today Sports. Not many better in the game than Dan Tom. You are going to want to see that conversation. Then Dan Lagnese, he's known as Lags the Capper. He has great insight into this UFC card, and you're going to want to hear what he has to say and his spots for value and the plays that he's made. And then moving to the boxing side, it's Ringwalk John, Jonathan Lear. He is going to break down all of the odds and all of the boxing matches this weekend. He's going to tell you where you can find value. And finally, from CompuBox, it's Dan Canobio. He's going to share some punch stats with us, proprietary information uh, Dan's going to share with us. So we're going to break down all of the boxing matches this weekend. We're going to look at the big UFC 253 card back from Abu Dhabi, Adesanya versus Costa. So let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRIN2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Batia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Batia. I am Karen Batia. This is Squares and Sharps. We are looking ahead to UFC 253, and I am joined by Dan Tom. You know him on Twitter at DanTomMMA. He's an MMA analyst for MMA Junkie, for USA Today Sports. He's a senior analyst for gaming content for Line Movement, and 
He's the host of the Protect Your Neck podcast. Dan, that's a lot of uh, credentials there. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Dude, you nailed it, Kerr, and it's great to be on the show. So thank you for having me, and, and thank you for that fine intro, sir. <laughs> Thanks so much for breaking it down for us. So let's get right into it. We know that we are going back to Fight Island, Abu Dhabi, UFC 253. And, of course, we'll start at the top. We have the middleweight title, Adesanya versus Costa. So it's a very... Um, interesting fight. You could say there's maybe a clear but close favorite type of situation. You could even say brawler versus technician, both undefeated. Um, we know that Costa's conditioning could come into play in terms of getting this fight to the later rounds. What do you think about this fight? And also, if we look at the odds, I'm looking at uh, five dimes right now. We have Adesanya at minus 170 on the comeback. Costa's at plus 150. What do you think about those numbers? And what do you think about this fight? Yeah, I think you said it really correctly there as far as close but clear. And that doesn't mean the underdog can't win. In fact, despite my official pick, the underdog is live. I'm not trying to convince any Costa betters out of their bets, but that's kind of the beauty of a line like this, even though it was admittedly surprising because it actually opened a bit tighter than where it's currently at, what you currently cited. Um, th these are always fun because it's a fun matchup for like hardcores and nerds or analyst nerds like myself casuals it's an important fight overall but from a betting perspective this is your specialty this is your show it's one of those fights where it's like it's the perfect carnival ride because the price for entry is right there you're not getting great dog odds admittedly that like i would want if i'm back in costa however you're still getting plus money and if you're on the favorite um like i am and maybe we'll see where you you are uh sir but um that's a definitely a good point of entry even if you're even for chalk you know and with this fight, I mean, I'm looking at it like it's going to be tough to beat Adesanya. He's just so skilled. I think Cust is going to come out strong early. I think he's going to go for it, of course. But I do think Adesanya will survive that storm and we'll get into the later rounds. Uh, and I'm looking at something like an Adesanya decision. That, that's my overall breakdown of how I feel the fight will play out. What do you think? You know, I could see a decision, uh, especially it's, it's got a very weird comparison, uh, completely different division, but it's almost got that Yoana Janjacek versus Jessica Andrade feel, you know? We've got, you know, the, the unstoppable Brazilian who's just got that crazy gas tank, the power, the hooks, but comes from the jiu-jitsu base. Uh, will they go for takedowns? And Andrade, had, Andrade made Janjacek, I should say, survive that storm. Uh, however, even though I do see a decision on firmly on the table, I'm going with more of the late finish route for Adesanya just because I can't back a gas tank of a guy who's only been around three once He's only been the decision once. He's coming off of a year-plus layoff and stepping into his first five-round title affair in Abu Dhabi, of all places. Now, it's not going to be super hot there like it was for, I believe, UFC 242 might have been that card. Uh, they seem to have a much better indoor facility at Yaz Island. Nevertheless, travel is travel, and fighting for that travel is a big deal. So uh, I, I have a hard time believing Costa gets to those later rounds, whether he wins or loses. And you brought up Abu Dhabi. That, that's a good question because they're traveling across the world. Now, they will be fighting at normal time in terms of the main card, I believe, starts at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So that's that's normal in terms of where they're fighting. But if you look at something like their circadian rhythm or things like that, where if you look outside, it's morning, there's daylight out. Your whole day is a little bit different. Who knows exactly what your sleeping patterns are like and things like that. How much do you think this venue is going to play a factor? 
that's a big deal too because you know neither of them has fought in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I believe Adesanya may have shown up there for an appearance, but I don't even think he was cornering or anything like that. So you really can't draw from there. In fact, since neither have also fought in the pandemic era, I remember Adesanya's last fight was our last normal card uh, here, you know, as, as far as this era is concerned. Uh, but you got to go back to Polo Costa's tough fight, with your tough fights, I should say, because those were in the similar kind of as close to a pandemic, no crowd arena. And granted, that was a different Paulo Costa from almost seven years ago. But the fact is, he did lose that fight. It doesn't show up on his record against Marcio Alessandre. It was an exhibition bout. The reason why he lost it by split decision was because he kind of gassed himself out. Uh, he did a better job of it going the decision against Yoel Romero, uh, even though I technically scored that for Romero. Um, Costa did a good job, all things considered. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is crowd or no crowd, Costa can still tire himself out. Whereas Adesanya, I don't see any of those factors really tiring him out. I think Adesanya is going to have to be hurt to get fatigued in this fight. It's a fascinating main event, and that's what we love as combat sports fans. So moving down the card, uh, we're going to light heavyweight, and this was John Jones's title, vacated title now. Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovich. Uh, what do you make on this fight? What do you make of the numbers? How do you break this one down? This is a weird one because I feel like I dare say, I mean, the numbers represent this, but I feel there's a more clear take on this fight. And that's no disrespect to, uh, to Blachowicz. Um, I didn't take Blachowicz last time, but he's done me well as an underdog. The man is always an underdog. And whether I pick him or not, I always give him respect in that sense. However, I almost feel like I'm being dismissive here, Curran, because it's it's. I don't disagree with the line at all. Like if you, if you want to, you know, there's not a lot of a chalk to be honest on this card. I feel like most of the chalk is a trap on this card. I'll say that straight up. However, I don't hate anybody who wants to use Dominic Reyes as perhaps a key parlay piece for your plays this Saturday evening, or if you want to play Reyes inside the distance. Which oddly enough, these lines tend to correct themselves. But at the time of this recording. Uh, you're actually getting one of those weird anomalies where the inside the distance line is minus 105 is a better price than minus 110 for by TKO, which is how I, I think it ends. I don't think he subs the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and Blachowicz, but from a betting perspective, I always like when you see those lines like, wait, why is the line that gets you better coverage uh, getting you a better price? That doesn't make sense, albeit by a nickel still worth looking at. And what do you think about, you know, obviously Reyes last, last time out, um, he lost his fight, but I think he looked impressive in the loss. You know, I think your stock can actually go up in a loss. Uh, so he's coming off of the loss. But to me, this isn't the type of thing, uh, you know, like when um, Masvidal knocked out Askren. And then you're like, how is Askren going to come back? How are you going to respond type thing? This isn't something like that. This is a different type of loss. So, so what do you make of him losing the way he did and maybe actually kind of almost riding the momentum of that, of that fight? Yeah, as far as a loss goes, that's the best way you can do it. A loss that people thought you won. And it was against arguably the best guy in the world, right? So your confidence isn't hurt. You weren't knocked out like you mentioned. We're not having to recover from these type of concussive factors, which are very big and should be respected. Um, and even from a stylistic standpoint, whether you're looking at, you know, tinfoil hat theory, crafty judges in Abu Dhabi, though, I don't think you'll have any of those stakes in this matchup, folks. But if you're looking at the intangibles of how the fight plays out, because let's be honest, both men have shown suspect gas tanks before when fights go along. This could get dicey if it goes long. But uh, I think that the fact that, you know, Reyes could feel burnt from the judges could actually uh, help him here. Now, if it was a dangerous, hard-hitting, one-shot knockout power 
a counter puncher with Blockowitz are arguably is, uh, but if it was like a more of an Anthony Johnson type fighter, then you worry is, is the young guy, you know, you know, coming in a little too hot. Is he too overinflated off of a loss? Is he going to try to take the judges out of it and risk himself? I don't think it's as big of a worry with block, which despite what we just saw him do, keep in mind that was to Corey Anderson. So I, I, I do, I do like Reyes here, man. And we keep it going on the card. Uh, flyweight bout, Kaikara France versus Brandon Royval. So we know, of course, Kaikara France, uh, stablemates with Adesanya. Uh, Royval is trying to make his mark in the UFC. We know that, and that's obviously going to be on his mind. Um, how do you break down this fight? What do you think about where the numbers are at, and where can you find value on this fight? Well, speaking of numbers, there are four, count them, four city kickboxing fighters. So before I answer this, let me just bounce a question back at you on your own show, Curran. Out of those four city kickboxing fighters, do you believe – you don't got to give me a line. We can keep it to a yes or no. Uh, do you believe all four of those fighters are walking away with wins on Saturday? It's <sighs> a good question. Um, sure, I'll, I'll give you a yes, but I want to I know what you think. People don't want to hear me. They want to hear you. So what do you think? I, I think it's a no, and we could sit here and argue on which, which combination that comes down to. But to get to the point – uh, to, to speak to the relevant matchup at hand, I, I think I think that weak link, if we're, we're, we're a cop, we're looking to press to see who the weak link is here. I think it's with all due respect, Kai Carr of France. Now, I love New Zealanders, man. I love this team. I love Eugene Behrman. I love that these guys all camp together. They have that, that, that secret mission feel, and we've seen when they get in that secret mission mode what Israel Adesanya can do. However, Kai Carr of France, I feel, could be overinflated. We could talk about skills inflation and technical mumble jumbo, but I'll just keep it short to this. I don't like anybody who fights at flyweight or 135 who can't fight at a pace for three rounds. You, even if you're a low-level flyweight or bantamweight, if you're in the UFC or even in a regional promo, cardio should be the last thing we're worrying about. So to see Kai Carr of France struggle with cardio is very worrisome, especially because he's not the biggest flyweight. He's not cutting the most weight, and it could have to do with a suspect body. The last time Kai Carr of France fought a longer flyweight who throws kicks a lot like Royville will be doing was against Holly and Paiva, a fight that he arguably lost. And we saw him hurt multiple times to the body. I think that pressure, that southpaw savvy that Royville brings here is really live and could force an inadvertent shot at a Kai Car of France who does have wrestling in his background, but he doesn't want to tie with a machine gun submission machine, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and Brandon Royville. So, in short, you wanted to hear if I have any plays, if I'm confident enough. Well, I wasn't so confident in a fair line at an opening, plus 140 for Royville. But as of now, seeing the Royville line get skyrocketed to plus 200 or even above, it constitutes a play in my book. Feel free to call me crazy here, Curran, but I'm rolling with Royville. Hey, I'm not going to call you crazy. Uh, I'm going to see what happens after this interview and then I'll play after the fights and I'll play this interview back and, and then I'll decide. Um, so that's, that's, that's another great fight. And I think you just, you nailed it in terms of the analysis there. Uh, we also have, of course, the women's bantamweight bout, Ketlin Vieira versus Jajara Eubanks. We know Vieira's coming off of the loss. This is going to be a big measuring stick fight, right? Um, what do you think about this fight? We know that in women's MMA, literally anything can happen. So as much as analysis as we want to do, we may not know, uh, what's going to happen, but that can play a factor in terms of your type of work in terms of your analysis or your picks. So how do you break down this fight and any spots for value in this one? It's tough. I, I don't want to disregard the dog who keeps scoring in Sajara Eubanks. I mean, a durable dog, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt world champion. Technically, if you look at her accolades. 
Say what you will about the competition. The girl can grapple. She's hard to stop. She can swing and bang with some of the biggest hitters as far as like an athletic Julia Avila uh, is concerned. So you don't really need me to tell you that there's value on Eubanks, especially if we look at the lines now, the public have already bet this fight almost, if not a whole dollar amount down. So it's actually getting less juicy, in my opinion. If you like the dog, I'm officially picking the favorite in Caitlin Vieira. Uh, I don't think there will be uh, as much pace issues. She fights within herself. Her judo and wrestling to accompany her jiu-jitsu credentials, I think, will give her the edge as already the bigger and stronger woman. I think there's going to be a lot of positional control, and the size is going to play a factor as far as Vieira winning this fight. Uh, but you said it. It's a measuring stick fight, and for me, I like to sit back and let the measuring happen. So from a betting perspective, um, I'm probably going to be passing on this fight, to be honest. Nothing wrong with putting your feet up and enjoying a fight. Uh, sometimes that can be a lot less stressful, as we know. Um, yes. Rounding off the main card, it's a featherweight bout. Dewadu versus Takugov. Um, I'm looking at the numbers right now on five dimes. We've got Dewadu at plus 115, Tahugov at minus 135. Um, so you're, this is obviously the opening fight for the main card. Uh, how do you break this one down and would you make a play on this one? Yeah, I was looking at this one just for, it's one of the most interesting fights uh, to me on the card. So it doesn't surprise me that it's a rubber band matchup in regards to the betting lines, right? We, it looked like the, the Dewadu earlier, even today, in fact, I saw a plus 105, perhaps he could be overtaking like we saw with the Shane Young and Klein bout. We could have seen that similar action in that case. I would have definitely liked to hoog off for a bet. However, uh, I'm going to pass. If you're on Duwodu, especially if you got Duwodu anywhere his nearest opener at, at minus 140, I believe, in that neighborhood, I don't blame you. Good luck to you. Duwodu's done nothing but impress me uh, and prove me wrong. However, people call me crazy because I took a shot at, on a guy named Hoye at almost plus 400 odds. But I saw the in-and-out movement and the left hand in particular being problematic for Duwodu. Say what you will. Uh, Dewadu can, you know, say he was off balance and he was a mid midway throwing a kick, something people don't account for enough. The fact is Dewadu was knocked down multiple times. He was frustrated multiple times in that fight. Now against a guy like Tehugov, who, albeit sparsely experienced in recent years, he comes from a wealth of experience as a champion in combat sambo, trading with Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's got a dangerous left hand that I told people about before his last fight. And what did he do with that left hand? He knocked out Kevin Aguilar. Furthermore, aside from submission or on the feet, if this goes to the judges, I alluded to earlier, I'm not a tinfoil hat guy, Curran, but when a lot of these fighters with the OV at the end of their name, um, let's just say if we go back to the last sample of fights at Abu Dhabi, any, any questionable scorecards, I guarantee you that seem like they're in a happy meal and tucked away nicely for a fighter to take home. They went to a fighter with an OV in their last name. Do with that what you will, but Tahugov is guaranteed to be one of those guys. So uh, for that reason, I would be very scared to bet the dog here. I'm going to probably sit back and just enjoy this fight. Sit back and enjoy the fight. Tuck the uh, tinfoil hat away and just sit back and enjoy uh, the matchup. So we know that obviously the main card, we we, we discussed it there, but uh, there's obviously going to be value down the line. And, and there, it's, it's, it's another stacked card. There's a lot of fighters we've heard of. Of course, Diego Sanchez, the original ultimate fighter, uh, is on this one. And other fighters that we've heard of. When you look down the line, um, what are some other interesting matchups that stick out to you? What are some other spots for value? What, what are other plays that you have on the rest of this card? You know, I, I'm, su I'm, I'm surprised that some of the kid city kickboxing lines are tight. 
like the Klein Shane Young fight, if that line flips and we get Shane Young at plus money, I may have to make a play there. But people are money's coming in on Klein for good reason. This Slovakian, he looks like he's for real. He's got comes from a boxing base, but this guy could throw combinations, kicks. He looks like he's got some counter wrestling, which he'll need against the well-rounded game of Young. I love that fight. Uh, his 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 stablemate Brad Rydell is getting a lot of respect at minus three forty. But I do think he rolls against Alex Da Silva. However, Alex Da Silva comes from that Luta Livre, which is closer to catch wrestling than jiu-jitsu base. He's an athletic kid, comes from that Aspera FC fight scene that Darren Till came from in Brazil. Um, and it's, he's at the age where he could be a completely different fighter. So it might be closer than the odds uh, expect, but I love that fight as well. And anything else down the line? Any other fights that you're looking at for spots for value on this card? You know, I'm officially siding with a lot of dogs uh, that I, I don't recommend you follow me off of, whether it's William Knight to score another comeback win in a fight that has some personal drama attached that tends to muddy up the stylistic intangibles, as well as Jeff Hughes against Juan Espino. When you see that big of dog odds for a fighter that he's already faced coming off that big layoff that Espino is, it's hard not to sprinkle on that, even though Jeff Hughes fights aren't very fun. And it's heavyweight MMA, as well as... Uh, Kadis Abragamov, I'm fading him again against Danilo Marquez uh, just for the fact that Abragamov, um, he didn't impress me, and uh, I faded him in both fights, and uh, that, that did me profitable. So I'm going to go ahead and do that uh, as he sees himself out of the UFC possibly this Saturday. Let's see. Let's see what happens. It's always an interesting situation when a fighter may have their UFC career on the line. Uh, so we know the early prelims on UFC Fight Pass, that's at 7 p.m. Eastern. Then we got prelims on ESPN Plus and ESPN2, that's at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then we get our main card on ESPN Plus, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's a lot of fights, uh, a lot of spots for value. And I think you broke it down there really well. So let's talk while we have a little bit more time, your process, you know, I, I've seen some of the great work that you've done on MMA junkie you know, in terms of breaking it down. The, these amazing articles, we, I can tell that you're obviously very detail oriented in what you do. You're very organized in the way that you uh, bring information together and bring it to life. What is your process in terms of just analyzing everything and making these picks? It's it's tough, man. It all it's all dependent on matchup. Now it's more the schedule, right? It in my duties and stuff. So obviously I'm focusing much more on the main event fights. Um, those I still kind of run through my proverbial comb as far as process goes. Uh, watching, you know, I, I watched pretty much the entire catalog for Cost Adesanya, which I didn't need to do. You don't need to do that, folks. Uh, it's a bit of overkill. Uh, but a lot of times you can just go back and watch specific fights. So. For example, Blockowicz, he's facing a southpaw, right? Uh, he's an orthodox fighter facing a southpaw. Chances are I'm going to go look at the orthodox fighter first, Curran. And not only that, I'm going to look at his matches against southpaws. What's he doing good? What's he doing bad? Now let's go see what his opponent does well and does bad. We're going to see how those stack up. A lot of it's kind of basic forensic science. Um, although my training and getting beat up over my whole lifetime certainly helps my understanding I'm not one that says you have to be a black belt in this to write about or say, or the, 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 the fact is you just got to do the work. You got to do the work. There's no, there's no shortcutting hard work in life, much less, uh, you know, we might do, we like to make fun of the word tape study, but yes, that's part of the hard work in this game. You got to watch the fights. You can't just look at, you know, the sure dog or tapology. You can't just go off fight metric stats. Those don't tell you the story folks. Be very careful. I do use stats but I barely use them and not in the traditional way. I think that's where a lot of people can kind of get lost in the minutiae. And with your background, you mentioned your background. Do, do you think that that gives you an advantage? Can you see things that maybe other people may not necessarily see? I mean, 
again, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I don't want to come off egotistical in a way, but yes, uh, it is a point of pride for me. And I, as I do believe it gives me an advantage. That's why I got into this, especially, you know, at, at the time, five to 10 years ago, the sport was still on this crazy influx, but we weren't seeing that same influx as far as the media and coverage goes. We weren't seeing a lot of fighters crossover, even as analyst jobs back then. They're doing a better job now, but that's more speaking. But as far as written and, and real-time coverage, we didn't really have the voice from martial artists. And um, when I couldn't compete anymore, granted, I, I wasn't ever going to be pro. It was only at an amateur level. Um, I had to do something to, to, to fix this, man. And and and, uh, and and getting in and diving into the, the, you know, the, the game, the minutia, the, the numbers, if you will. Um, is definitely fun and, and gambling, you know, and, and gambling on the fights. It's it, it's a nice window. Um, I always tell people I, I do it as a, as a novice. I'm like a nine year old with an allowance. Uh, but that being said, over the years, you, you get clients and people who listen to your content that do actually bet very big money. So uh, it is important to stay to a process, whether you're someone like me answering your question, current, what my process is as far as creating content to making picks and analyzing fights to if you're the better, you're listening to your show right now, your audience members, right? It's important for you to have a process too. Even if you're not trying to do what I'm doing or what you're doing, uh, there's important things like money management. That's a process, right? So I like that you brought up that word. It's an important word for, I think, your audience to keep in mind. Absolutely. And I think uh, if you have the allowance of a nine-year-old, you probably have the largest allowance of any nine-year-old on the uh, on the planet there in terms of the money that I'm guessing you're putting down on some of these fights. So uh, just to close it out, of course, Saturday night, UFC 253. Tell me the fight, the moment, the situation that you are most looking forward to. What are you going to say, wow, I can't wait for this. I'm so glad that this is happening. You know, it's such a cop-out answer, but the way this card was structured, maybe as opposed to last week's card, it really is top-heavy. Right. So for me, it's going to be the very top fight. I mean, even if we put, you know, uh, blasphemy, I know, even if we put the gaming talk aside for a second, stylistically speaking, just from, you know, the martial arts nerd part of me, which is where which is where my analysis and, and, and my essence, if you will, comes from, man, I am excited for Costa and Adesanya. I can't get around it. It's going to be a fantastic matchup. It is a uh, top-heavy card, like you said. Sometimes we have these pay-per-views where it's just stacked top to bottom. This time, a little bit more top-heavy, but still fascinating and interesting matchups. Dan, Tom, I very much appreciate the time. Before we let you go, tell people where they can find you, where they can listen to your analysis, where they can read your work. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you for having me on. And again, just you can find all my stuff. We'll keep it easy. At Tom MMA on Twitter, where you can find my content, whether it's the line movement.com content, MMA junkie.com, and check out my podcast and YouTube channel, Daniel Tom MMA, the Protect Your Neck podcast. There you have it, Dan Tom breaking down UFC 253. Thank you so much for the time. Enjoy the fights on Saturday, and I hope to chat with you again soon, my man. Anytime. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. 
Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia. This is Squares and Sharps. I am joined by Dan Lagnese. You know him as Lags the Capper. He is Lags underscore the Capper on Twitter. He bets on UFC, soccer, uh, and he's the co-host of the Club and Sub podcast. So, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Thanks so much for joining me. So, we know that we are looking ahead, of course, at the next big UFC event. And uh, Israel Adesanya back in action. He's always fun to watch. He's taking on Costa. This is a big, big fight. So, what do you think overall about this card? Um, and, and what are you looking forward to here? So I think from an entertainment perspective in this card, I think it's up there. I think it's maybe a seven, seven and a half out of 10. But I think from a betting perspective, it's, you know, maybe a five, five and a half. I don't, I don't think there's a, a ton of great spots here. I think there's a lot of inflated lines here. Um, and there's a lot of fights I'm just not too, too interested in. There's just a lot of red flags I'm seeing. So I'm just kind of passing and, you know, picking certain spots as I see them. And that, that is what we'll talk about. We'll go through the card a little bit. We'll, we'll talk to you about your analysis. So let's start at the top. Let's start at the main event. Israel Adesanya, the champion. Of course, we know this. Uh, Costa is a beast. He wants to come in there and knock your head off. Adesanya, obviously, more slick. So it feels like uh, the further it gets in the fight, the more it'll favor Adesanya. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so I actually uh, I hopped in on a play here for uh, two units. I took the uh, the fight does not start round four at uh, minus one forty four. Um, yeah, similar breakdown to you. Um, I kind of I actually do favor Costa in this fight. Um, I think the line is a little bit wide where it's sitting right now. Um, but yeah, similar to what you think. I think the uh, I think Costa's live in this early rounds one, two, and three, and I think Costa could take or I think Izzy could take over in those later rounds. Um, we haven't seen Costa go five rounds. I'm kind of questionable of his cardio. Um, but, you know, those first three rounds are going to be hell. And I really don't want to be backing Izzy at this kind of chalk. And I'm a huge fan of both of these guys. So I, it's really tough for, uh, for me to pick a side here. I know a lot of people want to plant a flag here. But um, I think violence is the best way to go in this spot. And, uh, yeah, like the fight doesn't start round four. And do you see any value? I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now on five dimes. We have uh, Adesanya at 170 and the comeback uh, Costa at one plus 150. Any value on, on those numbers there at all? Um, I think the current value is definitely on Costa at his money line. Um, and interesting, interesting props I was looking to sprinkle. Um, so the alternate rounds, like I was talking about, uh, Paula Costa rounds one, two, and three are plus two fifty, And then Izzy rounds four, five decision are plus one eighty five. So if you look at it that way, I mean, if you like Izzy and you think he's just going to stay on the, stay in the range point, fight him towards the end of the round, towards the end of the fight. Um, then you go that route. But honestly, I, I see a finish here. I think that Izzy is fairly capable of um, knocking out Costa while he blitzes in. And I think Costa's body work is uh, on another level. And I think he can finish Costa early here or finish Izzy earlier. So overall, though, this this will be monumental. We'll see the middleweight title uh, changing hands here, in your opinion. I think it definitely has a uh, definitely has a good chance. I definitely, as I think everybody thinks, this is Izzy's toughest test to date. Um, 
but I'm rooting for Izzy here. I think, but I think the if you were looking at it from a uh, from a betting perspective, I think the value is on cost the money line. Absolutely. So it is, it is a, it's a good card. Uh, it's a top heavy card, we could say, and we have some interesting fights. So of course we know about the light heavyweight title vacated by John Jones, who is now moving up. That leaves us with a title fight here. Uh, Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blakojevich. And it should be a very competitive fight. Uh, we know that Reyes, even though he's coming off of the loss, in my opinion, I think his stock is still rising. Um, so what do you think about this matchup? Break it down for us. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think even in a loss there, which a lot of people thought he won, I, his stock gained uh, tremendously. And that's, I think, what we're seeing in the line movement here. Um, I was actually able to pick up, uh, I was parla- I parlayed uh, Dominic Reyes at minus 205, actually, with um, Islam Makachev later in the year. Um, yeah, I, I think where the line's currently sitting is about right at minus 280. Um, I don't hate the play there. I, I think once you get to minus 300, I think it's getting a little wide, but um, yeah, I like Dominic Reyes kind of everywhere here. And I think that this Polish power from Jan is kind of overstated as we've seen with the uh, the two knockouts of two of the Chinese guys in the division with Corey Anderson and Luke Rockhold. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're taking Jan, I think we'd probably have to take him by knockout, but at the same time, it's, I don't really think Reyes's durability is cracked here. So I, I would, I think Reyes wins this fight. Um, I I would say by decision, to be honest, I think Jan's Jan's tough. He's only finished by Thiago Santos recently. Um, So I would lean Reyes by decision. I know that's like plus 280 right now, but to be honest, in a five-round fight, I don't think it's enough value for me to take that decision prop. So I think Reyes money line straight, if you were looking to parlay that at the current odds, um, I think it's a solid parlay piece. And we continue down the card. Um, it's it's an interesting card, like we said. Uh, we got Kai Kara France, who we know is uh, teammates with Adesanya, right? So he's he's uh, you know learning through osmosis there, uh, through you know training partners there uh, against Brandon Royval. Um, it's a flyweight bout. So how do you see that one going? So I think that if you weren't able to parlay Reyes and Makachev at those early lines, I think that Kaikar France is a solid parlay piece option. But at the same time, I myself, I'm not looking to parlay him with any other fights on this card or any future fights. I think that playing this money line is a little dangerous, in my opinion, just because I don't think that um, I don't think that its finishing ability is really uh, has really come to fruition in the UFC, as we've seen most of his fights have gone to the decision. So I actually played uh, one unit on uh, Kaikar France by decision here. So I kind of think this fight plays out pretty binary. I think that it's either going to be Kaikar France stuffing the takedowns of Roy Val, keeping him at distance, and it's going to be a fairly close fight. But I think that Kaikar France is the much better striker here. And I I think that Roy Val is very hittable on the feet. And then to play devil's advocate for Roy Val, I think his best path to victory here is a submission. But as we've seen with Kaikar France, he has a 91% takedown defense. So I don't really see that coming to fruition. So I think the play, if you were looking at it that way, would be uh, Kaikar France by decision here. That, that's really good analysis. Um, and this will definitely be uh, an interesting fight. So we, we, we said it was like a top-heavy card. And then we get into some other fights. And there's still interesting spots there. Um, not necessarily like the top, top names. The, the, the card that we had a week ago, it seemed like every fight was a top name that we've seen in the UFC before many times. A lot of star power. Um, so the next fight we have is Ketlin Vieira versus Sajara Eubanks. We know Vieira coming off the loss. So in a way, you could think of this fight as maybe like a measuring stick fight. But we know that what we've seen in 
uh, women's MMA is that really anything could happen. And, and uh, that seems to be a trend in a way. So how are you looking at this fight? Yeah, similar kind of what you just said. I mean, women's MMA is kind of crazy right now. And uh, so Jari Eubanks is, you know, on a crazy little run here. I think that uh, she catches a huge underdog in the last fight. And I think she's a live dog in the spot. Um, the only thing that I think that is giving me pause here is just the size and the uh, physical ability of Vera on the feet. Um, I think that could sway the judges here if this is because I ultimately think this is going to be a close, uh, close, high, uh, high variance uh, decision, to be honest with you. So I think if you were uh, if you're looking at it from that perspective, I think that Eubanks would be the value side. I like the Eubanks decision line. I know that's sitting over plus 200 right now. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a pass for me. I, I think that this this, like I said, would be, a, I guess, like you said, uh, would be a uh, like a measuring stick. I think Eubanks is tough. She's savvy veteran. Um, and Vera, you know, was just knocked out in that last fight. So we kind of need to see where she's sitting in the division. So for me, it's a pass. But I think Eubanks decision line is uh, is a good look in this fight. It's always interesting to see how a fighter comes back from a loss. There's so many aspects to For it. Sure. One, obviously, physically in terms of losing a fight uh, to someone, but then also the mental aspect is huge. How someone deals with that? Do they go back and train even harder? Um, are they are they a little off? You know, is their confidence shot? And it's always very interesting to see a fighter come back. So, rounding especially out, during, the, especially during sorry, COVID as well. So, especially yeah. during COVID as well. So it's t- it's tough to really get a gauge on you know some of these fighters that we haven't seen in a long time. Like we said, we haven't seen her in over a year, so it's tough to really gauge, you know, how hard is she sparring right now with COVID and everything going on. So, no, yeah. the, the whole, uh, you know, quarantine coronavirus, obviously, you know, we've had uh, the devastation and loss of life, which has been terrible. But in, in a sports aspect, it's also played a huge disruption in terms of if you just look at the way people train, the people they train with may not be available to come train with them. They may not physically be able to get to that location. The gym they're in may not be available. Uh, they may not, they just don't have the consistency. Um, and so it just throws a huge wrench into everything because a fighter who's not as good as the other one, but had that consistent training, um, could obviously have an advantage. And then you also have to balance that with, uh, there's always the, the possibility of overtraining, right? Like, let's say you're training for so long without a fight. Um, how is that going to play, play out when you actually get into the octagon? So it's almost like, you know, it's, it's hard enough to make these picks when you have, yeah. you know, the information and now we're just right. throwing so many more variables into the equation. It's crazy. Um, yeah, and the- Sorry, go and, ahead. Uh, like, and no, and as we were touching on, like some of the gyms not being available, and yeah. a, you know, a big point on this card is city kickboxing. That most of these guys are coming from that gym, and that gym's been open. I mean, these guys are getting good rounds with each other, so I think that's why we're seeing a lot of these lines being uh, a little inflated. I would say. No, absolutely, and and it does make for you know another level of analysis, and 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 something that people like you need to look at more deeply in terms of uh, why the numbers are where they are. So rounding out the main card, uh, we got Dawadu versus Tukogov. Um, and that's a featherweight bout. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting fight as they all are, because it is on the main card. Of course um, it's, I guess you could say it's close to a pick I'm looking at five dimes right now, plus one Oh five and minus one twenty five. So we're, we're, we're close there in terms of, in terms of the odds. What do you think about this fight? So this is a tough one to call for me personally. Um, I think, I think it's ultimately a pass, but I think it's ultimately who gets off their game in this fight. So Duardo is going to look, he actually, I saw a tweet today. He has the highest, uh, differential strikes in the UFC at, uh, 2.97 significant strikes per minute, which eclipses three other elite fighters, Conor McGregor, I believe Jose Aldo and, uh, Max Holloway. I think it was, or no, Max Holloway and uh, Volkanovski, not all. That's that's pretty good company right there. 
<laughs> so, yeah. So I think pretty much if Dewadu keeps his fight at range and defends the takedowns, it's his fight to lose. Um, and then on the other side with Tehugov, this is Dewadu's toughest test wrestling-wise. And he lands nearly, uh, I think it's 2.88 takedowns for 15 minutes and a 57% accuracy. So, but the problem with Tehugov here is that he doesn't do a lot with the takedowns. While he will control you, he doesn't look to strike a ton. So it's kind of how the judges are going to uh, score this. I think this is also going to be a close decision that could have a lot of high variance here, depending on, because I think Tehugov is going to be able to outstrike Tehugov, but it depends on how many uh, takedowns Tehugov is able to land here. But um, so, ultimately, I think, sorry, but uh, ultimately, Duarte has got an 85% takedown defense. So it's it's tough to really gauge um, where he's at, especially, like I said, this is his tough, toughest wrestling task to date. Um, so I think it's a pass ultimately, but I would uh, I would lean Duarte here. Nothing wrong with uh, putting your feet up and enjoying a fight uh, if there isn't a play to be made. And I know someone like you isn't just going to be focused on the main card. Uh, we have the, you know, we're, this this card is back in Abu Dhabi on Fight Island. We got the prelims on ESPN2 and ESPN+, and then the early prelims from UFC on UFC Fight Pass. So looking down the line, uh, any fights that are sticking out to you, any spots for value, any, any specific fights where you're looking to make a play? Um, I guess there'd be two fights. So one fight that's just like a fun, entertaining fight is obviously the Diego Sanchez, Jake Matthews fight. And that's going to be just a hell of a fight for, you know, I think, I think it's going to go the decision, to be honest. I think, um, I think the odds makers have it right. It's like sitting minus one, uh, 185 to go to, to over two and a half rounds. Um, but the problem is you have Jake Matthews at minus 700, and I don't really think, obviously, that's playable at all. But at the same time, Diego Sanchez at this point of his career isn't really playable at all either. Um, so I think I – know, I know Luke from uh, Squared and Sharps is on uh, Jake Matthews by decision. Um, I like that. I think it's sitting plus 120. I know that's like around even money in a lot of spots. I think that's a good play if you're looking to target it, target it but I think ultimately it's a, tra- it's, a, uh, it's a dumpster fire of a fight. I think it's just one of those you want to just – have a beer and watch it, watch some, uh, some good violence. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at, uh, Diego Sanchez, just fighting for as long as he has, and then trying different things in the corner, uh, that seems to be kind of on trend. We saw platinum Mike Perry, uh, try to switch yeah. it up in his corner. Um, and I always find it interesting when people, when people try to do that. I remember years ago in boxing, Baybot Shumanov fought Bernard Hopkins and he was his own trainer. Shumanov was, um, and so he would just kind of stare into space uh, between rounds. And what's funny is Hopkins took full advantage of that uh, because Shumanov did not make any adjustments of any any kind because there was no third party to tell him right. uh, that he's losing every single round. So <laughs> I, I'm that's not saying that's that'll that's necessarily yeah, play right, out right. this yeah. way, but you know, you never know when when people make changes in the corner like that. So we'll yeah. See. We shall see. So you mentioned two fights. So that was one of them. What's another fight yes. that you're looking at? So, so the other fight I actually just uh, put a play on is the uh, the Kadis Ibrahimov fight and uh, Danila Marquez. I actually played the fight does not go the distance at uh, minus one twenty eight. I played that for one unit. Um, so just stats alone, Marquez's fights nine of eleven fights and inside the distance, and for Kadis seven of his eleven fights and inside the distance. And with Marquez's fights ending inside the distance, it's mostly him doing the finishing in the first round and. As we've seen with Cottis in the UFC, that's where his bread butter is, the first round. And then after that, he usually gasses. So I think ultimately that Cottis has a live chance to get a knockout in the first round. And that if that doesn't happen, I think that Marcus is able to take over and I think he's able to submit him here. So and I think you, that yep. 
Sorry, go ahead. So I think that yeah, I think that um, from a side perspective, I know I've, I've seen a lot of people taking Marquez this week, but ultimately I don't really see his grappling being the greatest. I think so. Like from from a side perspective, I think it's a pass. But like like I was saying with Cardis, it's tough to trust him. He's zero three in the UFC. I think they're kind of handing him um, a free a free win here. But I don't really I can't really trust him at minus one seventy where it's sitting right now. So I think violence is the best way to play this fight as well. I think for the most part, that's kind of how this card is. And that'll be great for us as spectators to have a lot of good action on this card. Um, what do you think about Cotis? You know, he's been in the UFC three fights, 0-3 in the UFC. Obviously, he's going to want to stay in the UFC. That can play an interesting factor in a fighter's mindset in one way they really need a win but at the same time you don't want to obviously press too much you know in terms of getting away from your game plan and getting desperate so how do you think that'll play a factor in that fight so i so i actually faded him in his last fight i took roman to leads inside the distance at plus 110 for a unit and um i was it was a simple fate of him i thought that the leads had the power had the ground game if he was going to take it there to pound him out on the ground and we kind of saw him knock him out easily in the first round um so the big problem there was Cotis didn't come out as hot as he usually did. As the first two fights with Ed Herman and Dalong Jung, he just kind of emptied the guardio in the first round. But and he just kind of went balls to the wall. But this third fight, he didn't come out as hot, which kind of caused him some problems and which caused him to get knocked out. So I think ultimately that in this fourth fight, um, with Marquez, if he doesn't come out hot, he could find himself submitted in that first round. But if he does come out hot, I think he has a very live chance of knocking him out. We shall see what happens. It's a lot of fights top to bottom. And I'm always, you know, when I'm doing these shows, it's always a stacked card. Well, it's it's stacked, but it's more so interesting. There's interesting spots. Yeah. Uh, there's things to look out for. It's a little different than some of these uh, blockbuster pay-per-views. Um, but, of course, we're all going to be watching this um, as we always do. So I know that you mentioned some parlays. I need to ask you, are, are there any Lambo parlays happening on Saturday night? For you? Any Lambo parlays? Um, so I, I was talking about that a little bit last weekend. So, um, so I'm kind of getting away from the Lambo parlays. And so what I'm doing now is more of looking into, um, good prop lines that are, but usually just, uh, wind conditions in general. And if they're over, if they are priced incorrectly, I usually try to throw, you know, maybe a quarter unit or a half unit on them just because, I kind of think it's crazy where they're pricing him. So like I talked about with Cotis in the round one, he's pretty much round one or bust if he's going to win these fights. And they have round one KO sitting at plus 900. So I think that's kind of insane. I think that's probably worth the poke here. Um, and yeah, so I think going forward, I think that targeting those like inflated props are a better way than just trying to go for that long shot parlay that, you know, more often than not, sometimes they just don't hit. Sometimes you get a Lambo, and that's what matters. Sometimes you do. Uh, <laughs> and this whole card overall is in Abu Dhabi, back at Fight Island, like we mentioned. How much do you think that plays a factor? Because so the fights themselves will take place at ten, you know, whatever, ten p.m. Eastern, normal time for right. these fighters. But what is different is, you know, I, I, maybe I don't know if this is the right term, but like your circadian rhythm or whatever, in terms of, you know, they're fighting in the morning over there. You're seeing daylight. Right. That can just change things a little bit. Um, what do you think about uh, the, the the different venue here and how is that going to play a, fa a factor for some of these fighters? So I think it's all about a factor of how, how often you or how early you get to Abu Dhabi to get acclimated to that time difference and the humidity. It's crazy humid at, you know, the darkest times over there. So I think that's a huge, huge factor here. Um, we talked about this is the bigger octagon 
compared to the apex. We have an extra, you know, five, uh, five feet. Um, and the judging is a lot different here too. Um, they don't really favor a lot of this lay and pray. Like we were talking with Tehugov. I don't think that if he, if he doesn't strike a ton while he's taking him down, I don't know if the judges are going to favor it, but we don't know if it's going to be the same committee that was there the first time, um, the second time around. So definitely, uh, something to keep an eye on. And so I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Uh, no, appreciate your breakdown on, on UFC 253. Yeah. I think uh, you gave no a lot of really, you know, deep, interesting spots to look at. And I'm sure people listening to this got a lot of value from that. So just real quick, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask a little bit about what you and what you do. So I know that uh, you don't just bet MMA, you bet other sports too. So how do the other sports, uh, what's the differences? How do they compare to MMA when you bet on those? So I think MMA, to be honest, is one of the most valuable like sports to bet on just because of the crazy props, the crazy lines. I mean, we, like I just talked about, people don't see these crazy wind conditions until you really look into them. And I think that's where the money is made. And with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the other sports, it's, you're pretty much just playing, playing spreads for the most part, spreads and totals, um, and money lines, depending on where they're sitting at. But, um, yeah, I just don't think there's as much money to be made in the other sports prop wise. Um, but I do, I do like betting on other sports. I love, I love soccer, and I like, uh, I like a lot of futures bets as well. I think that's a good way to play some, uh, some sports because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of high value lines when you're not too, too interested in uh, sometimes the league itself, but just you know, you think there's a crazy line and you want to take a shot on it. And how would you classify your process versus other people who are doing the same thing, betting on MMA or soccer or whatever it might be? Obviously, you're going to want to find some edge. Um, and, and it seems like, you know, one thing for sure, of course, you're looking at prop bets, you're looking for the interesting situations, you're looking for a little bit of deeper uh, type of plays to make. Um, how, what would you say is your edge in, in this? So as pretty much any other capital, they do tape before. So we always tape the fights before. And um, I usually just try to find tendencies that I see. Like I talk about like round ones, certain finishing abilities that I think when these two fighters match up that, you know, if there's a certain, like if I see, if I think like Kaikar France, I think he's going to go to a decision. I think that, you know, that's the smartest way to play it versus, you know, a lot of people see that he's a knockout guy, you know, don't blink, but we haven't really seen it in the UFC. So I can't really say with confidence that I would back the knockout prop here. So I think, um, I think ultimately it's just looking into certain spots and certain tendencies and getting on them early. Cause we've seen lines just kind of blow out of proportion. Uh, if you're not, uh, taping fights early enough. And just from a, you, you talked about your preparation there, just from a mental aspect, uh, you know, if you do go through a downswing, um, kind of like a losing, you know, a few weeks, months, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. what is your best way of just staying, you know, staying focused on the, on the process, not worrying too much about, about that and, and kind of saying, Oh, that's, part of the normal variance, um, and, and kind of getting out of your own way. Um, so for the most part, I really don't change up anything. I kind of just keep everything going from card to card because I think once you change, that's when things start to, you know, spiral out of control. And I think that could, could, you know, lead to bad tendencies. So I think that, you know, after a losing, if it's a heavy losing night, sometimes then, you know, maybe you just want to go small in the next card and maybe that's how you see it. But I think honestly, just depending on where the spots are, you just have to hit them where you see them. If you'd like, a certain line and you want to hit it for two units or three units, even though you just had a bad losing night, four units, five units, the last weekend, you know, it's a spot you like, it's a spot you like. So you think there's money to be made. And I think that ultimately, you know, you shouldn't leave money on the table. If uh, you see the line is right. 
That's good advice. Stick to the process. So to close it out, UFC 253, it's on Saturday night. It's a big card, of course. What is the one fight moment situation? What's the one thing that you're looking most forward to seeing on Saturday night? I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully, Izzy knock out uh, Paulo Costa. I'm, I'm thinking a uh, round two or round three uh, knockout for him. You're thinking Izzy's going to knock out Costa or Costa's going to knock yeah, out Izzy? I think, I think Izzy's going to knock out Costa in rounds two or three. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, all right. So last thing, let people know uh, where they can find you. So I am at uh, lags underscore the capper on Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can find all my bets there. I usually uh, post them as soon as I place them. And uh, if I haven't placed them then, I usually post them on uh, fight day or a day before. Dan Legnese, I want to thank you so much for the time. You can find Thanks him at Lags the Capper. Uh, appreciate you breaking it down. And hopefully we can have you back on back on here soon. We can talk some soccer. We can get into depth with that. Sure. Talk a bit, little bit more about your process there. Uh, thanks so much for the time and enjoy the fights on Saturday. I, I actually I actually have a soccer play tomorrow. There you go. There you have so it. I am, so I am on uh, Bayern Munich minus one and a half spread. I'm on that for two units. There you go. There it awesome. is. There is. Right, well, if you're listening to this and you want some soccer advice, there you have it. And we'll talk more about soccer next time we have you on. Thanks so much for coming for sure. on. I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Batia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Batia. I am Karen Batia. This is Squares and Sharps. And you know my guest, Ringwalk John, Jonathan Lear, host of the Ringwalk podcast he is the master of all things boxing and betting john how are you doing today my man you're always way too gracious towards me Kern. i'm doing very well and i hope you're doing the same i'm doing very well all right you're at least the master of the nice setup with the posters in the back and you got the boxing gloves in front so just in case people don't know what they're tuning into they they can see it with the visual there yeah yeah i'm trying you know sometimes you have to make up for what god gave you in the face and so i'm just <laughs> trying to do everything in the back here we can't all have as glorious a hair as Kern Batia. Hey, hey you're doing a lot man you're doing great things and i'm, I'm a big fan of your work and I'm, I'm really happy to chat about um some boxing some odds all of it so as much as we're we want to dive into this showtime doubleheader pay-per-view um let's start with in chronological order friday night september 25th all the way from Mexico. It's on the zone. Yeah. And we are seeing the dramatic return of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, and I say dramatic because who, you know, it's a, been an erratic career, as we know. We didn't sure. even know if we'll see this guy in the ring again. Last time against Daniel Jacobs. 
Um, he quit on the stool. We know he lost to Canelo. Um, there's no odds on this fight or on this card. But what do you make of this whole event, the Chavez Sr. and Chavez Jr. event? Um, one, I believe that Chavez Sr. is probably the better fighter and more conditioned to handle Arce in their exhibition. And he's probably doing him, his son, a little bit of a favor. Uh, not that giving him that name uh, has not been enough favor for Junior so far in his life. I'm not one to beat a guy while he's down. Uh, there's not many guys that have been gifted so much and actually had a lot of talent and just did not do with it what he could. I think that they are trying to show that he can get in some kind of shape, show some kind of consistency and, uh, you know, argue and, you know, position themselves for another fight and who that is against, who knows at this point, but there are not going to be any odds on this. I guess the only odds that you could really make is how many beers are thrown, how early uh, he is going to dip out, how many different colors of hair he is going to come into the ring with. That is what the circus is of uh, Chavez Jr. At this These point. are great pop prop bets. Where can I bet on those? <laughs> I really want to know. That sounds those, great. Are, those are what you call shot bets. You're betting yes. shots with your friends while you're yes. watching the fights. Yes. It's a nice event where you can just have a little bit of nostalgia with senior in there. You can mm -hmm. have uh, what I, what I always say, boxing is the theater of the unexpected and, and Chavez jr. Never fails to disappoint in that regard. Okay. Um, so before we move on, last thing about this card, Chavez senior, 58 years old, Arce 41 years old. So you could say Arce has the significant age advantage that may play a factor. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny. We, we talked about Chavez Jr. Uh, he did have the name, which gave him opportunities. But as he was coming up the ranks, he actually did a lot with those opportunities. He was in these guys' faces. He was fighting on the inside, just like his dad. And he actually did a lot with those opportunities. And then it seemed like things started to change and the commitment wasn't there. The work ethic wasn't there. Um, to your point, Chavez Sr. may have a better work ethic and commitment um, than his son. Do you think uh, this matchup with Arce, I know it's an exhibition, I know it's just nostalgia, do you think there'll be anything interesting in terms of a competitive matchup? Um, I think that ultimately the last thing that'll ever die outside of, you know, strength when we're talking about realistic fights is the competitive spirit. Uh, you might see, you know, some, some shots get in there. Both of these guys will go to the body. Somebody gets hurt a little bit to the gut. They might want to say, hey, you know, and, and respond in turn. Uh, I don't expect anything, you know, that's that competitive. I think this is something that is being done and they want to sell a hell of a lot of tickets and uh, bring in some money. And really, like I said, maybe get the opportunity for junior to actually be on a card where nobody else would give him the opportunity unless senior was heading it up. So as far as competition between those two, I think it'll be fun to see for many of the fans of both of the fighters, a little bit of nostalgia, like you had mentioned, but that's going to be about it. That is about it, and nostalgia, and then Chavez Jr., the opponent, is undefeated. Hey, that's, that's something. Um, speaking of undefeated fighters, let's make our way to Saturday, the 26th. We're going all the way to London, and ESPN Plus, Josh Taylor, uh, who we know is, has Ramirez in his sights for a future matchup. But first, he has to get through Kong Song, who is another undefeated fighter, so you know someone's O has to go here. But when you look at the odds here, I'm looking on five dimes right now. We have Taylor at minus 4,000, Kong Sam at plus 2,000. I'm guessing there's not a lot of value on this one. 
So Kong Song, first of all, whenever you're betting Thai fighters, you try to reach out to people that might know that landscape a little bit more. Kong Song does have power. Uh, he had a really visible on social media knockout uh, of Kondo, who was one of his top opponents, and he put him down in the fifth. Otherwise, you're talking about a lot of early stoppages for him, but not necessarily against the opponents that you'd think. So while this is a fight where people go, I've never heard of Kong Song. This is just going to be a walkover. The straight up odds, you know, dictate that this might be a play where you look at where the over under sits. A lot of people have at least hinted to the fact that Kong Song's a lot better than what people would think and that he's got a little bit of power. If he can land any type of shot that gets Taylor to slow down and respect it, you could maybe see this going over the six and a half rounds that has been allotted as the over under for this fight. And how much of a factor do you think it plays that Taylor has this other fight almost lined up here? And, you know, it's, it's always interesting with a fighter's mindset because as much as they say that they are not thinking about that, there's really no way not to think about, you know, the, uh, at the end of the, the, the gold pot at the end of the rainbow type thing. Um, how much do you think that'll play a factor? This day and age in COVID, there's been so much time for people to think about everything. Uh, Taylor hasn't fought in so long. And I don't think that this is going to be a situation where, you know, he's so, oh my gosh, this next thing, nobody is banking on the next thing right now. He's been dying to get back in the ring, handle what you got in front of you, and then let's see what happens. I don't think anybody is just uh, cashing checks in advance in 2020. It's been a year for Josh Taylor, and uh, it's been probably a year for a lot of fighters who haven't been had their first bubble action or anything like that. So speaking of bubbles, uh, we're going to Connecticut. Mohegan Sun has been the uh, home for the Showtime fights, and it's coming to a major, major head here with the big, big, big doubleheader pay-per-view. It's $75. That price has been uh, well-discussed on Twitter, as you know. Um, it, it, we got the Charlo twins. We got Jermel, Jamal and Jermel. And in the top fight, Jermel Charlo versus Derevichenko. Um, it's a competitive matchup, of course. We've seen Derevichenko before. We saw him uh, versus Triple G. That, that was a very close fight, a hell of a fight. Um, what are you thinking about in terms of, of that fight, Jermel versus Derevichenko? Odds opened up pretty close, uh, and lately there's been a little bit more money coming on to Charlo uh, over Derevchenko. The price is raising up to the minus 170, minus 180 range here in the States, plus 140 for Derevchenko. And it makes sense that it's close. This would be Charlo's best opposition. Derevchenko arguably could have been uh, the winner in both the Jacobs and the Triple G fight had he not been down in the first round. And even though he was down in the first round in both of those fights, still people thought that he had done enough in the rest of the rounds to make that up and win. So we're talking about a guy that could easily have two huge wins against Triple G and DJ, whereas Charlo hasn't really faced that top competition yet. If he wants to set himself as an independently pay-per-view worthy fighter, this is the fight that he needs to get. And I think that there's a reason probably why they took him. Uh, a lot of people are wondering which way it's going to end up. Is it going to go the distance? It does look like the odds makers favor going the distance over under a 10 and a half. The over is getting bet to juiced at minus 300. I will say this, the type of style that Sergei Derevchenko has can be swarming, can apply pressure. And a lot of people think that maybe somebody that isn't as good of a boxer would not be able to handle that. And sometimes Jamal 
Paul gets that reputation. I will say that Sergey Dervinchenko had success on Danny Jacobs, somebody who fights off of his back foot. Whereas Jamal is very comfortable inside of the pocket, jabs to move is not going to really have a hard time with standing his ground. He might have a hard time with Sergey Dervinchenko, most would. But I do not think that he's somebody that's going to be afraid. I think that he is somebody that has the power on any type of counter, which Dervinchenko is open to, can catch him and maybe get him in the same position that he's been in other fights. And the last thing, as I look at a trend, judges, for whatever reason, have not been fond of Dervinchenko. We've talked about it before, that there are narratives at play sometimes, and I'm not putting it on any one of the judges that have already been announced uh, for this fight that they're leaning one way or another, but it always does seem to happen that the house fighters always get a couple extra on the scorecards. Dervinchenko has not gotten his way on the last two scorecards taking that. I think that Charlo, this plays into his style. He is a good fighter that isn't going to be going off the back foot can handle that type of pressure and has the power. I think that there is a good price at anything under minus minus one ninety to take Jermall Charlo over Dervinchenko in a signature win. We know of course the house fighters getting a little bit of extra that's well documented um, in, in the boxing world. And of course the Charlos are basically the, the pride of, of Showtime boxing here. Uh, and, and we know that they're doing big things here on this pay-per-view and then hopefully they can build them up to continue that pay-per-view run. You mentioned Derevichenko in his previous fights versus triple G and Danny Jacobs. Now we know that he went down in both of those first rounds, as you mentioned, here's my question. We know that Jamal can, can box, but he also has power in 30 fights and, and no losses. He has 22 knockouts. So he, he does go for finishes. He has power. Is there any bet or any play in terms of a first round knockout, knowing that Derevichenko seems to be vulnerable early? Oh, yeah. You can bet on round props. Uh, I had a lot of books. Usually round props are much more open on the UK books than they are here in the States. But you can place a first round prop. And if I'm looking at it right now on the fly, as we're doing this live, Charlo winning in round one would be a 50 to one return. So if you want a big bet, there you go. That's the current special right there. If you think that Charlo can catch him for the third big fight in a row in the first round, but actually drop him and finish him, that would be the bet that you would take. I will say Sergey is very much so uh, like the Terminator in that he just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. He gets cut. He gets knocked down. Does not matter if he's bleeding or if he's hurt. He keeps coming back at you. We saw that in the Triple G fight. I'm, uh, I don't think that it's going to be an early knockout uh, if it does come, especially seeing as the odds makers uh, would think that this is a 10 and a half round with so much money going on the over. Got it. So just to be clear for everyone watching, do not cash out your entire 401k and put it on Jamal Charlo by first round knockout. Ringwalk John says, do not do that. Do not Even do though that. it's the current special. And do then not it's going to hit. And then it's going to hit. And we're all <laughs> yes. going to hit ourselves. Yes, yes. So let's, okay, That that's a great fight and th- and and absolutely fantastic analysis. Um, let's move on to Jermel Charlo, of course, 154-pound unification versus Rosario. Uh, to me, this is a really, really close, tough matchup. And I, I was actually surprised to see the odds here, to see that, um, that, uh, this Charlo is actually more of a favorite. I'm looking at right now on, on, on five dimes. I have him at minus 450, uh, Rosario at plus 360. I actually think this is a closer fight than the other one. What do you think? So I can understand the reasoning why you're talking about the guy that's looked huge in his last fight, dominant 
over J-Rock and showed the power broke him down. Julian Williams in the fifth round. And you're going up against Jamel. And you would think that, okay, in this situation, yeah, uh, maybe it's a little bit closer to 50-50. Uh, I look at what the odds were, uh, not only in the past uh, for Rosario, but what was his last fight? When he was coming into that J-Rock fight, he, some people scored out at 20 to 25 to 1 underdog. One of the biggest upsets that you will see in any year. And that isn't by happenstance. Rosario's a good fighter. He does not exactly have the track record that makes you go, wow, okay, yeah, he's really done well. In fact, he has struggled against some lower-tier fighters. Uh, You take into consideration, too, that now that it's come out that uh, J-Rock was splitting up with his coach, Breadman Edwards, and that's already happened now, and there was a little bit of disagreement in the philosophy of how things were going to go in that fight. Anybody can get caught on an off night. Uh, I was talking with a very good capper the other day, uh, just making no that while Rosario is a very big boy, it is very hard to continually get down to said weight. Uh, he does leave himself open and watching a lot of the videotape right down the middle, right down Broadway, that is where Rosario leaves himself open and that leaves him open to one of the most powerful characteristics of Mel, which is the overhand right that he sends straight down the middle. Uh, there is a reason why not only have the lines been getting bought up, on uh, Charlo, but the knockout propositions are still at minus money. You are actually having to lay money to get money back still on uh, Charlo to knock out Rosario. And I do think that that is going to be the end outcome. It might not happen early. It might happen a little bit later, but the tested proven against good opponents fighter who's learned almost every boxing skill that he could just in his last few fights with Harrison is going to be ready for any type of dominant performance that Rosario is going to try to put forward. I do like Charlo and I do like him to knock out Rosario. Charlo, it's an interesting moment for Charlo because he had the Harrison fight, the first one, of course, where maybe he didn't step on the gas all the way and Harrison got the decision in a very close fight. But you could tell there was a new Charlo in the ring for that rematch. He was motivated and he had to dig deep and get the eventual knockout win. You can also look at common opponent Jorge Cota, who went the distance on a close fight Uh, with Rosario, but then, of course, Charlo able to do his thing and knock him out in the third round. Now, obviously, we know styles make fights, so you can't look at that in that way, but that does tell you something just in terms of the difference of skill level because Kota was – that was only a few months apart in terms of going the distance um, and then getting getting knocked out. So – That'll be another another uh, close fight. What do you think about that, though, in terms of the, the mindset of, of this Charlo, too? He's gone through that loss, and he doesn't want to go back to that place, obviously. What I do know is all the belts are on the line. These brothers are incredibly competitive. He even said the other day on the, I believe, the PBC podcast, or no, actually, it was the uh, Athletics podcast. They had said that he took a big deal out of being the main fight, the one that ends it all. If little bro, or big bro finishes it uh, in the earlier fight, I think that puts that much more pressure on him to do what he has done. And a win here kind of solves in most people's mind the merry-go-round that is happening where one guy beats the next guy but then the other guy beats the next guy then the other guy at least he has avenged his losses will hold all of his belts and will be uniformly seen as the champ I don't think he's going to want to play around with a guy that has shown strength with Mr. Banana I think that he is going to want to go in there dominantly and show up to his fans on the pay-per-view with his brother and stake his claim as the best 
This is, especially for COVID times, this is almost as big of a stage as you can get. You have uh, the dual pay-per-view, um, a lot, you know, there's also a lot of competing things. There's a UFC event, there's other boxing and things like that, other sports, but this is a big thing for boxing in terms of a big pay-per-view here. So you know that he's going to be up for this one. Uh, both Charlos will. Now, if you look at the rest of the card, there's a lot of names that we've heard of. Brandon Figueroa, of course, um, and Lewis Neri, all, all the way down the line. What are some other fights that you're looking at? Any spots for value? Any plays that you're making on the rest of this card? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that the uh, guy that could really steal the show is Neary. Um, he is one of the most fun, powerful fighters. He has had his problems with weight, but I believe at this weight, he's moving up. And I think that's going to be a little bit more comfortable for him. Uh, he's had drug problems before, but now he's with Reynoso. And I think that that's going to fix some of the disciplinarian problems. I like him to have a KO early in his fight and uh, the odds reflect that. But if you can get round groupings where you can put three odds uh, three rounds together for odds and get a little bit of plus money on a fight that is more than likely favored uh, for Neary to knock him out. I really do think that he could actually stop uh, the show in that. The one that seems to be the closest and the most competitive would be Casimero uh, versus Duke Micah. Duke Micah has been getting a lot of love from boxing heads who have said that, you know, this is where the upset might happen on the undercard. And so it's drawing a lot of attention. Casimero, uh, I'm a fan. He's working with Bones Adams. Uh, he's working also with Memo Heredia and as a uh, trainer, uh, I really like what Memo will do uh, in regards to nutrition and supplementation with his fighters. I think he's going to be coming in in top-notch shape. And Duke has never gone 12 rounds. And whereas Casimero is prime and geared and ready and he wants a shot at Inoue, I really do like him to end it within the distance in the second half. And if you can get the second half, you're going to be looking for some odds that are going to be playing, paying out at plus money, anywhere from plus to three to 400 in the round groupings uh, for Casimero to end it in the second half. I really do uh, like that play. Uh, Danny Roman and Piano, it's a question of if it's going to go the distance or not uh, with Roman and Piano. I haven't really come to a solid conclusion that says, you know, I, I personally am going to take Danny Roman all day. It's just a matter of which way that went and one ends up. So uh, as of right now, nothing set in stone. I do post all the plays that I'm going to be leaning on on my Twitter at ringwalkjohn the day of the fight. And speaking of your Twitter, I know you're obviously uh, tuned into the conversation. And before we close the book on discussing the Showtime pay-per-view, I wanted to get your thoughts. We've A lot was made of that price tag, $75. Now, it's within the range of a normal pay-per-view, maybe a little bit higher. It's less than what we call, you know, a superstar pay-per-view, like a Pacquiao versus Mayweather, which might come in at like $99 or something like that. Um, what do you think about that price tag? And what do you think about the discussion that's been, been happening about that? It's interesting. I think in these times, everybody has to be on one side of something or another. Uh, negativity reigns supreme. Negativity is always the easiest argument. It's actually much harder to be positive. Uh, we, and no year proves that like 2020. Um, that being said, uh, if you're going to say that $75 is too much because of the pandemic, we can all kind of agree with that. I don't think that that's a hard arguing point that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to have $75. And maybe the difficulty for the pay-per-view numbers will be there and it won't sell a lot because you can't have a lot of friends get together. Who knows exactly what it's going to come out to. What I will say is this, as somebody that quasi is considered media, uh, I do not see the benefit in saying, oh, it's way too much money. Don't buy it. It's not worth it, et cetera. 
as much of the media has this week, it's not the media's job to fix everything that's wrong in boxing, but it is the media's job to help keep us in the media, keep the people with jobs, keep getting paid and support the sport. This is two guys in the top four going against each other in both of those weight classes. This is five champions on one card. Often you and I have spent $75 on a pay-per-view, which is the going rate now on these pay-per-views over the last couple of years for one fight and a bunch of crap on the undercard. And that is not the case here. So if you want to make the argument that it's the pandemic, $75 is a lot. You can do that. I just think the best way to draw people into boxing is to foster the excitement angle and say, yeah, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay it. Times are really tough, but boy, if I could, because these are great fighters, great champions, it's a stacked card. And I think that's the way that we ought to be pushing the sport for a sport that worries so much about what UFC is doing, that worries all about numbers. The best way to get somebody to try a product is boost the product. I don't know about you, Kern, but I have never, ever gone to a restaurant after somebody said, eh, it was too pricey for the food. If you say, man, that food is so good, I wish that I could afford to go more, you're going to want to try to go there. And I think that that would be best angle to take for a lot of people with this weekend's fights. No, it's well said. And, and if you can afford it, then it's great because you are getting value. You're getting both of the Charlo brothers. You're getting a bunch of title fights. Um, you're getting more fights than a normal pay-per-view uh, because it's a double header with like an intermission type thing. Uh, but to your point, you know, you, you can't invite over your buddies. People can't flood the bars to watch it. Now that changes the whole equation. Now are people not going to go to the bar, but they're going to watch it at home by themselves. And that's now individual buys. We don't know. That remains to be seen. Um, but it is an uphill battle. And to your point, uh, the more that we can develop these stars, especially like people like the Charlo brothers who are, who are interesting, uh, charismatic people, they've got power, they've got, you know, the stories behind them. The more that we can develop them into pay-per-view stars, the more likely that maybe we can get more buys and value down the line. So uh, if you can afford it, I think it's a great value if you can't it's completely understandable um and so it is an interesting discussion uh, and we'll see how the how the numbers go with that pay-per-view so moving from a paid pay-per-view back to the zone uh subscription model we're going to munich germany and uh this is the world boxing super series final it's the cruiserweight title dorticos versus bradis um I'm, I'm looking at the odds right now uh looking at five dimes dorticos at plus 145 bradis at one minus one sixty five. Uh, what are you thinking about in terms of this main event and any any value on on this fight or this card? This might be the fight that I'm actually looking forward to the most. Uh, Breedis is a fantastic fighter. His only loss was being separated by two points from Alexander Usyk. It tells you about the talent that this guy has. And then you have a guy named the KO Doctor, who provided one of the best knockouts last year of Tabidi. It has been a fight that has been in the making for so long. And for all the problems that the WBSS has had in regards to finances, Thankfully, this fight is finally coming. Uh, originally, it had opened up much higher, uh, and then it reopened uh, with Breedis being in the minus 200 to minus 220 range. That has been bet bought down over the last couple of days, specifically by a couple of betters that I do know that put a lot of money on Dorticos. They like the power. They like what he's exhibited. And in that fight where he has shown that he could last, including in his last fight going 10, it takes one 
to end that with his power that he has in those hands. And he makes it a very popular play to get plus money on. And I can completely understand the thought process behind some of the sharpest of sharp guys I know playing the KO doctor, me personally. What I do know about the KO doctor Dorticos is that his right hand is his most powerful. He sets up with the left hook, he keeps himself at a certain amount of distance. So no matter what he's throwing with a one-two, whether it's a jab or a hook, he comes back over with that right. And that right has provided five of his most spectacular knockouts, including the one last year. The problem is, is within the spacing. Breedus is somebody that gets into your kitchen and messes up the whole place. He likes being inside. And I think that a superior fighter that works in inside is going to mitigate the power of the dock. And so I don't think that there's going to be an appointment on uh, Saturday. I think that Breedus, uh, anything sub 200 for a superior fighter who went the full distance and could have gotten a victory against the best ever at cruiserweight should be considered a favorite over a guy who can land one punch but it's going to be one hard one to land against a guy that's going to be in his space. So I I'm leaning towards taking Breedus at anything sub 200. And right now, because of the people that are playing Dorticos, that price is very appealing to me. If you've followed Alexander Usyk's career, uh, you know that it's an accomplished to just not be destroyed by him. And the fact yeah. that one of these scorecards when Breedus fought him was a draw is a, just a tremendous accomplishment. Um, and you look at how close that fight was. Um, so that that's a fascinating matchup. And I think you broke it down really well there. So I was going to finish on asking what fight you're most looking forward to. You seem to answer that. Uh, well, let me ask you this. What okay. fight are you, what's the second fight you're most looking forward to? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's hard, right? When you sit down for Thanksgiving dinner and you've been hungry for a long time, it's like, okay, the scalloped potatoes. No, nope, no, nope, mashed potatoes with the gravy. No, okay, just give me the dark meat with the bone. There's a little bit of good everywhere, right? And I, it's not a cop-out answer. I am most interested to see what happens in the Charlo Derevinchenko go fight uh, because there's a lot of ramifications for the career there and I think it is the closest um, I might be the most excited to see uh, what guys like Neri and Casimero do uh, but the, the the main fight that I'm excited about early is Breedis Dordis Coast and later is the Derevinchenko Charlo Thanksgiving at your house sounds pretty good, man. I might have to, uh, po post COVID, I may have to That's invite the myself over. right there. My <laughs> missus can cook. I'm telling you what, man, I'm winning every single time. That is a sure bet. Whenever the missus is cooking, I'll tell you that much. Hey, you got the brownie points. Play this show for her tomorrow. Just, oh, you know, yeah. Play that last few seconds. The there I'm you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ring walk, John, uh, Jonathan Lear. I want to thank you so much for the time. Thanks for breaking it down and, uh, really appreciate your expertise on this. And I hope to chat with you soon. As always, I very much so appreciate being on your show, Curran. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRAN2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. 
Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karan Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. I am Karan Bhatia. I am chatting with Dan Canobio. You know him as, of course, the CompuBox operator, host of Inside Boxing Live, which is on Fubo TV. Dan, I know that you're everywhere, so thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Uh, happy to talk about boxing. Some big fights upcoming on the schedule. You know, we got through the worst of it, and I think from here on out for the rest of the year, really, really good fights, especially this weekend with this uh, Showtime doubleheader. Yep, we got the Showtime doubleheader, and we'll talk about that, but we got a few other big events. In fact, a massive event, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. and Jr. are fighting on Friday night from Mexico. Chavez Sr. in an exhibition match versus Arce. Uh, we could call this the Legends Tour, the Seniors League, if you will. And then Chavez Jr. is back in action, um, and he's in a 10-round fight. So let's start with Jr. Last time we saw him was he quit in the corner against Daniel Jacobs, who Daniel Jacobs is no slouch, uh, of course, as we know, rugged, great competitor. That was in December of 2019. Uh, before that, we know, we've seen Chavez against Canelo, who we, Chavez just didn't really show up for that. What type of Chavez Jr. do you think will show up on Friday night? <laughs> that is a loaded question because you don't know what you're going to get day-to-day from Chavez Jr. But I will say this, that fight with, with Danny Jacobs, Chavez Jr. had a lot of really good moments in that fight. He was backing up Jacobs. He looked huge in there. He was much bigger than him. He probably got up to close to 190 uh, on fight night. We know the, all the issues he has with, with his weight, but he's an enigma. You have no idea what you're going to get from, from uh, Chavez Jr. You don't know if you're going to see uh, the guy that was showed promise earlier in his career or you're going to get a guy that, that quits. I mean, a lot of the times he just doesn't show up. He lays eggs in there. And then look at that 12th round he had with Sergio Martinez, where he uh, almost knocked him out. You have no idea uh, what to expect from Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. I think that's part of the, his charm. Uh, let's see if he actually even shows up to the fight. <laughs> if he does so, who knows? He has a name. Uh, he's getting a little towards the, the end of his career. He's getting a, a, it's almost to the point where... He's running out of chances. You know, how many times can you run him out there if he's not going to give a performance? What happened against Danny Jacobs, him quitting, everything that happened afterwards, you know, the, the fans throwing beers into the crowd, uh, into the ring, throwing chunky-heeled boots. He ducked, high-tailed it out of there with Mickey Rourke. Just, you're going to get entertainment <laughs> at least, but I just don't know what you're going to get inside of the ring. Yeah, I mean, we know Chavez Jr. coming up the ranks. He was actually doing his thing. He was given opportunities, but he made the most of those opportunities as he was coming up. He was knocking out people. He had the Chavez style, getting in there close, fighting on the inside, doing his thing. But we know later on, the work ethic wasn't there. I heard one time a story that Chavez Sr. still to this day wakes up at 5 a.m. to go on his runs. Yeah. Chavez Jr. wouldn't do that even during his fights. We, we've seen him with the cereal bowl and the pink <laughs> underwear. It just didn't yeah. seem like he was necessarily as committed to this sport. So to your point, it'll be interesting to see uh, what this fight will be like. I don't even know if they're posting odds on this one. I know he's fighting an undefeated fighter. Um, we'll see. We'll see what can, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a Chavez losing in Mexico. Uh, yeah, what are just, the odds on him actually showing up? Right. There, there's that too. And well, we and we mentioned that uh, Chavez Sr. had the work ethic. Well, he's making a comeback. He's 58 years old. Uh, this is an exhibition fight. He's fighting Arce, who's 41. So Arce, well, the, with the significant age advantage, that should yes. be mentioned here. But that um, 
I don't think that there's odds on this fight. It's an exhibition match, but it, it will be interesting for nostalgia. We love nostalgia. Uh, what do you make of Chavez Sr. in this exhibition fight? I mean, it's an exhibition. It's the, you know, what these these uh, legends are allowed to do, especially if you're in shape uh, and are still so hungry. I mean, the guy's a legend. I mean, it's for, if it's for charity and they can raise a lot of money, that, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm seeing it happen with, with Mike Tyson. You don't want them to get hurt. You know, it's a dangerous sport. You know, getting up there in age, 58 years old, it's, it's up there. But, you know, I've seen these videos of Chavez Sr. The guy's on the treadmill every day. He's running every day. The dude's ripped. Uh, I'm interested. I mean, I'll watch. I mean, it's like uh, when you pass a, an accident on the side of the highway, you rubberneck <laughs> and you look at it. I'll, you know, fire up my zone and, and check it out just from content purposes. Uh, you know, the Chavez senior engine to sell the name recognition. So, hey, if it makes them happy and, and it raises money. And I'm all for it. It's always the best way to sell a fight, right? It's like the car crash on the side of the road. That's what boxing is sometimes. (laughs) Let's just say what it is. Let's embrace it. We love boxing. We love the theater of the unexpected. And I just can't imagine uh, something expected happening during that card. There's going to be a lot of unexpected things. uh, And I'm going to be checking that out as well. So we move on to Saturday. We're going to London on ESPN Plus. Josh Taylor, he's undefeated. He's had success. He may be looking ahead a little bit at a Jose Ramirez clash. We know that'll be a big fight. But before that, he's got 12 rounds with Kong Sam, who is also undefeated. So someone's O has to go. But Kong Sam has not faced the same opposition. Right now, I'm looking at the odds on five dimes. Josh Teller is a huge favorite, minus 4,000. Kong Sam is at plus 2,000. Um, I'm guessing that we think Josh Taylor is going to probably do his thing in this fight and, and not have too much difficulty, right? Yeah, of course. I know I, I spoke with Ben Davison recently, and, and they say they had a great camp, and the, the, actually the, the the lockdown was sort of a blessing in disguise because they were able to work a little bit longer. You know, you don't really see a trainer and a fighter of Josh Taylor's caliber in the prime of his career uh, link up like this. Usually it's at later on in their career where they're looking for a spark, but, you know, Josh Taylor is a guy that I think is the best at 140 right now. Obviously, he has that huge fight with Jose Ramirez coming down the pipeline. Will he look ahead? Will you know how will he perform with with no crowd? That's something that we talked about with Davison. They took big steps to make sure they're ready for that. Talking about you know checking his heart rate at different points of uh, sparring. You know not having fans that are going to check out the venue early on. But as for Taylor, dude's one of the best at 140. I think he can do it all. He can fight from range. He has a you know really good uh, height of it. I think he's like 5'11". Has a long reach. Uh, pretty decent jab. That's something that they, they're looking to work on. I think that if he wants to have even more success, especially if he moves up to 147, he's got to be able to land the jab. But you know power power punch numbers almost 50 percent. He's landing over his last four fights, and those are some really good fights, some really good competition as he worked his way up that world boxing super series eventually you know winning it uh beating regis progress so i like taylor a lot in this fight i don't know if i would touch it uh with those odds because i think uh you'd have to throw down a lot of money uh for taylor but you never know it could be a trap fight we saw with jose ramirez uh when he was fighting postal he you know was up and down three times in terms of uh you know training for that fight with all the cancel cancelizations but you know he didn't put out the the best performance we want to see that that unification bout but i think taylor will uh, ultimately prevail And that's very interesting that you spoke to Ben Davidson, his trainer, and obviously their camp is going to say we're focused on this fight, but it's basically impossible to not think about the mega fight with Ramirez next. So when you spoke with Ben, um, what was, what was the feeling there? Do you genuinely feel like they're actually focused on this matchup coming up on Friday on Saturday morning? 
Yeah, of course. When you have, you know, unification bouts, if you have multiple belts, you have to fight mandatories. It's the price of doing business. You know, they would like to probably just fast forward right to the Ramirez fight. But, you know, you can't. That's how boxing works. You got to take out this uh, this uh, guy here who's who's, a you know, is there for a reason. He earned that spot. But, you know, yeah, I think they are very keen on the, the Ramirez fight. I think talking to Davidson, they he believes and Josh Taylor believes that that Ramirez's style is tailor-made uh, for someone like Josh Taylor, uh, tailor-made, <laughs> play on words, just someone tailor-made for, for Josh Taylor, Ramirez, you know, coming in and Taylor being able to pick him off with the reach advantage. Uh, I think that Davison uh, was, was, you know, thinking that they would be something they would like and they would be able to fare well in that type of fight. We shall see, and hopefully, I think as boxing fans, no offense to Kong Song, but we want to see that big matchup, uh, Taylor versus Ramirez. So hopefully, Josh Taylor can take care of what he needs to, even if he just gets through the test, as long as that matchup stays stays alive, then I think we'll be happy. We also have, of course, the Showtime pay-per-view, and it's it's an interesting situation. It's a dual Mm pay-per-view. This is rare in boxing that you have two uh, dual pay-per-view. More rare still is that you have twins headlining it uh and of course i'm talking about jamal jamal charlo and jamel charlo so first up let's talk about jamal he is the uh of course the 160 pound champion fighting derevichenko derevichenko no slouch we saw him against triple g uh that was a competitive fight for sure that was in october of 2019 um the question is how will this fight play out and will derevichenko be a a test for the 30 and 0 charlo I think so. Uh, it all depends on where Derichenko is at um, in terms of uh, durability, in terms of how much tread is on his tire. You brought up the Triple G fight. Brutal fight. Really savage stuff. And now, luckily, he's been off for close to a year. I think he needed every much of that year to recover uh, from that type of fight. But also has been in there with Danny Jacobs. has been in there with a lot of names at 160. Also had a really long amateur career. So Derbyshenko has been through the ringer. So it is up to, to – and I'm thinking about how much he has left in the tank. I'm not trying to discredit uh, a win for Charlo because I think this will be Charlo's best win at 160. But I want to see what Derevchenko has. He's a slow starter. Uh, he doesn't, you know, if you take a look at his punch stats, he throws 65 punches per round, which is the tops in the middleweight division. But that's also a guy that s- starts slow. So imagine how he comes on late if he's able to throw that many punches and known as a slow starter. Also, he goes down early in his last couple of fights. I think Triple G and Jacobs, he has gone down uh, in the very first round. So he can't afford uh, to come out slow. He has to come out and throw those 65 punches per round. He has to take the fight to Charlo. Charlo Jamal is one of a, 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 a fighter that doesn't throw a lot of punches. He throws in the low 40s, but he has power. He's kind of like Deontay Wilder, where he'll get in there and, and, and kind of stand around and, and kind of look at you and then land a big shot to, to knock you out. Intriguing fight. Uh, you know, I think Derevchenko has has a chance because uh, he's been in there tough, but, you know, third time will, will be the charm for him. Could we see that? But uh, I'm leaning towards Charlo. Yeah, we know the success Charlo has had, and you made an interesting point about Derevchenko. Down in round one versus Jacobs, who has power, but not necessarily a power puncher. Golovkin, of course, has some of the best power in the sport. Put him down in round one. Jamal, yeah. Jamal Charlo, 30-0. 22 of those by knockout. We know the power is there. Maybe there is a play to be made there. If you don't want to uh, spend the money on, on betting on this fight straight up, maybe there is a play for an early knockdown. Um, but then we look at, of course, the twin brother, Jermel Charlo, the 154-pound title here. Uh, it's a unification fight against Rosario. 
We saw Rosario do his thing against Julian Williams. Now, the thing about Charlo is I'm looking, I'm looking at the odds um, right now. It's, it's a close fight. He's at minus 175. Uh, no, sorry. I'm looking at these. There's both of these Charlos, and you have to look at these odds. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so this Jermel Charlo is at minus 450. Uh, Rosario at plus 360. So wow. more likely uh, than the other fight in terms of the odds, this Charlo is more of a favorite. Now, I, I think that that is a good place to be because if you look at his loss to Harrison, uh, Jermel, that is, I think that really lit a fire out of under him, and he came back to avenge that. And now, obviously, he wants to continue to roll with that. So I don't think he's going to take any fights for granted. What do you make of this fight? Oh, man, this is interesting. This is the fight that I'm most looking forward to on uh, this card. And it's a fight that I think that Jason Rosario has a really good shot to win. I don't like the fact that Jermel is throwing less and less punches. He's actually getting outlanded over his last four fights in terms of percentage. He's throwing less. He's landing less. But the caveat is over his last eight fights, Jermel Charlo has six knockdowns, six knockout wins. So he is like, I talked about how Jamal was like Wilder. Both of them kind of are like Wilder in terms of they don't throw a lot of punches and they kind of depend on a late stoppage. That is a dangerous game to play, especially with a heavy-handed puncher like um, like Rosario. So if Charlo comes in and he's not throwing punches, he's standing around and you're not getting, it's hard to steal rounds, first of all, that way. It does allow you to play defense better. If you're not throwing punches, you have more time to see uh, what's coming, especially Rosario is very heavy-handed but it's interesting Jermel Charlo is 30 years old I know they they refer to themselves as uh, the future of boxing you know this guy's getting up there in age we see that guys when they hit 30 they start to hit a plateau have we seen the best of Jermel Charlo or is there more uh, you know down the line uh, it's interesting I think it's this fight out of all of them I know the odds don't say it's 50-50 but I believe this is the, the most competitive fight of the two Charlo fights and uh, I actually am edging towards uh, a Rosario knock uh, knockout late so there you go. If you want to bet on an underdog, Rosario seems very live, according to Dan Canobio. I tend to agree with you, especially with if you look at um, Charlo's first fight with Harrison, he kind of let Harrison hang around, do his thing. And in the second fight, it wasn't until the 11th round that he was able to get the knockout as badly as he wanted it. Right. Harrison was still able to hang in there and have success. Well, the so, thing with that fight's yep. interesting is, is Jamel threw the most power punches of his career. He threw 402 power punches. So that just shows you that it, it, it got more than just a fight. You know, it started, it got emotional, you know, you know it got to the point where you know, they had a very nasty uh, lead up to that fight. So it was almost like a grudge match. So he went in there and uh, totally abandoned his jab and just went straight power shots, 402 power shots. That's a lot for a fighter like Jamel. And we've seen that even in between that fight when Harrison was injured. He fought Coda. Uh, Charlo knocked him out in the third round. Again, going for the power shots, going for the knockout. So he has that ability to turn it on when he needs to. Mm-hmm. That could be for his benefit or detriment. We'll find out on Saturday night. Also looking down the line on the card, Brandon Figueroa. We know him as the WBA regular champion, um, of course, because it's boxing. Why not? Um, he's going against Damian Vasquez. Uh, I don't think there's much value in this one. Cause I'm looking at the odds on five dimes right now. Uh, Brandon Figueroa is a minus 4,000 favorite. Um, probably not much value in that one, right? Uh, no, probably not. Um, this, it's interesting. Figueroa throws a ton of punches. 
uh, you know, is also just 23 years old. So I expect him to continue with the volume, continue with that being that type of fighter. You know, we've seen Leo Santa Cruz is someone that you he compare him to. You know, he's still being able to throw a lot of punches per round, one of the most prolific in all of boxing. He's not slowing down. So, and he's getting up there uh, to past his 30s. So, you know, Figueroa, the train is going to keep moving on. I got the regular title. I'd like to see him get over to a regular WBA shot, whatever, you know, unify the WBA title. I don't even know what, what that means. But yeah, not a lot of value with that one. I think Figueroa uh, should come out on top just from a sheer volume. That'll be uh, another good fight on this card. I mean, it's an interesting value proposition. It's 75 bucks. You get um, two pay-per-views and there'll be an intermission with, of course, Morning Combat with a friend of friend of your show, friend of my show, Brian Campbell. Right. Uh, great show. So I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to that intermission for sure. So uh, we mentioned Brandon Figueroa. There's other fighters on this card that we've heard of. There's Lewis Neri. There's Bakram. There's a bunch of other people. Any other fights or spots sticking out to you on, on this uh, Showtime pay-per-view doubleheader? Oh, the John Rio Casimiro fight. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, has WBO bantamweight uh, titleist. Uh, he was supposed to fight in new way before politics got in the way of that one. That could be a shootout. You know, Micah is undefeated. I like that fight. Like Danny Roman. I mean, the guy a, is a great fight. It's one of the non-title fights, one of the only non-title fights on, on this card. I uh, love when, when he gets into the ring, kind of an old school fighter who went overseas to win his titles back, uh, you know, in the previous couple of years. Luis Neary uh, is a name that, you know, a lot of fans have been accustomed with in the boxing world. It's a loaded pay-per-view, man. It's just like bringing back to the days of when Don King, when Tyson was in jail and Don King had to put on shows without Mike Tyson, he would load up cards with, you know, five, six title fights, you know, these marathons. So it's a little bit of a throwback in that way, but you know, it's interesting. The Charlo brothers, the last time they were fighting on a, on together, one of them lost. Is that going to be a distraction here? This is a big step up getting a lot of attention, a lot of media, these guys don't exactly love to do media, and uh, so maybe that will play a t- uh, play a toll on it, especially in the COVID world too. These guys are used to feeding off the energy. There's no be no fans in in attendance on Saturday night. You have no idea how these fighters are going to come out. I think that's a whole different set of uh, a whole another wild card too in terms of betting. So you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point you bring up in terms of the brothers fighting on the same night. I've spoken to fighters about this before. Specifically, I spoke to Amir Khan, who at the time, his brother Harry Khan was an up-and-coming fighter. And I asked, why isn't he on the undercard? Because that way he can get more notoriety, he can get more eyeballs. And Amir's point was that it's hard enough to mentally prepare to go into combat and go into a fight. I don't want to be moments be, before my fight be worrying about my family member in no. the ring. And that has to play a toll on you. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I know the Charlos probably at this point are kind of used to it and, and they support each other, obviously. Um, but that will, that will be an interesting situation. And, like and they're twins. They're twins. So like, I mean, yes, I'm sure the con brothers are very close, but twins is a whole nother ball game. But the one thing they're doing on this, and I bet you this is by design, is that they're not fighting back to back. Right. Like they fought back to back on that Fox guard in, in, in late December of 2018 because they was that's just how it was structured this one is different you know uh, jamel charlo is fighting the main event of the first uh fight intermission they go through it and then jamal is in there so at least there'll be a little bit more time uh should one of them go down uh it's interesting i'm just definitely intriguing this is something that we haven't seen in a really long time in the world of boxing
Yeah, and we talked about the joint pay-per-view. And, and real quick, just to, just to wrap up the conversation on, on this Showtime pay-per-view, obviously a lot of people are making a lot out of the $75 price tag. We've seen this on Twitter. We've seen people talking about it. Now, it's not that much more necessarily than a regular pay-per-view. Um, it is less than like a, you know, a superstar pay-per-view like a Pacquiao versus Mayweather or whatever. Um, you're also getting value here. We talked about it being a doubleheader pay-per-view with an intermission and a whole thing like that. So within, you know, the realm of pay-per-views, what do you think about the pricing of the 75 bucks? Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to gauge. I, I mean, everything that's going on in, in our country in terms of, you know, layoffs and, and people out of work, I'm, I can't tell you in good conscience to go out and buy this pay-per-view, so go support boxing. It's hard. $75. It is what it is. I mean, when the price came out, I was a little shocked that people were in, up in arms over what do they think the price was going to be there hasn't been a $50 pay-per-view in years it would have made sense I would have loved to have seen uh, them you know price it accordingly maybe $49.99 maybe that drives up the buy rate you know throw in some type get a little more creative with in terms of how they could you know present this to fans but if you take a look at it you know the five title fights six fights in total intriguing stuff you know you could make a case that you know you're getting value for it but you know pay-per-views it's tough it's really hard to to sell pay-per-views these days if nothing's getting close to the million buys anymore you get you're gonna just have to break even you hope showtime has to hope to you know that they they get a big buy rate and i'm rooting for it i mean i want boxing to do well uh, but it's just the name of the game now pay-per-views is going to be a thing of the future we're all rolling we're all rooting for the pay-per-view to do well it's it will be a difficult uphill battle and i think to your point, it's difficult to sell the big pay-per-view without the giant star attached to it, the Manny Pacquiao, right. the Floyd Mayweather. The, if you have UFC stars like Conor McGregor, Masvidal, Canelo Alvarez obviously would be another star. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to get those eyeballs in that way, and they have to compete with other boxing. They have to compete with UFC, who has a pay-per-view. Uh, so it's, it's going to be an uphill battle. Other sports? I mean, the NBA uh, is in full, full-fledged. Stanley Cup, you got golf, you got baseball. I mean, there's so much sports on that stuff it's going to be really hard but you know if you're a a diehard boxing fan this you can't get any better than this and i think that the key here for showtime will be using this to help sell the charlos as a brand and who they are and then maybe if you don't make your money back on this pay-per-view hopefully you can do it in the future because they do they are extremely skilled in the ring they're twins they've got personality they've got charisma it's it's a lot of good things and hopefully they can ride that into the future now speaking of non-pay-per-views go back to the zone and we're going to munich germany Uh, This is the World Boxing Super Series final. It's the cruiserweight title, Doritos versus Bradis. What do you you make of this fight? What do you think about this uh, World Boxing Super Series final? It's good to see that they powered through. They had a lot of cancel cancellations, obviously, because of uh, COVID and the, just the structure of the World Boxing Super Series is tough to pull off. But this is it. The Cruiserweight final is here. Uh, Maris Bredis versus uh, Dortikos. I think it's a really even fight. Uh, you, you know, you have the, the, the boxing of Bredis versus the power punching of Dortikos. I like to lean towards the, the power. I want to see a knockout, of course. The Cruiserweights so will get you primed up for the Showtime pay-per-view. I'm leaning Dortikos, and I want to see an explosive knockout. Hey, let's hope we get one. I'm looking at the uh, odds right now on five dimes. Dorticos is a plus 145. Uh, Bradis is at minus 165. Uh, close fight. Uh, it'll be an interesting fight to see. And to your point, it's just good that we got here to this title fight. So last question, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. We talked about a bunch of fights on Saturday night. Tell me the one fight that you are most looking forward to on Saturday night. Oh, it's Jamel Trollo, Jason Rosario. Uh, that's the one for me. It's unification. 
Uh, I like to see how the uh, titles change hands. The 154-pound division, really competitive. Uh, you know, there isn't just one guy that's dominating. Well, if it if Charlo wins his fight, he is the guy at 154. If Rosario wins, it just it just keeps going with the whole theme that it is the 154-pound division of parity and a different guy holding the belt for a different time. A lot of different hands have touched the, the belts at 154. And, and Rosario, I think, is a great story. Guy that comes from practically nothing uh, over in the Dominican Republic, uh, relatively unheard of, and now he's fighting uh, for you know a lot of belts, three belts that are on the line. That's the fight for me. Um, that, that's it, man. I really like that one. And of course, Charlo and Davidchenko, of course, uh, loaded card. But uh, Charlo Rosario takes the cake for me. We got a great combat sports weekend from around the world. It'll be fun for any combat sports fans to enjoy all these fights, maybe make a couple plays uh, and take it all in. Dan Kenobi, I want to thank you so much for the time. You can catch Dan on Inside Boxing Live on Fubo TV. Of course, you know him from CompuBox. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end here. Thank you so much for joining me. If you made it to the end, I truly appreciate that. I want to say enjoy the combat sports this weekend. Enjoy UFC. Enjoy boxing. If you enjoyed this show, check out my personal channels at at Curran Bhatia on all social media. You can also check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. And of course, check out squaresandsharps.com for all your sports betting apparel needs. Thank you so much again. This is Karan Bhatia signing off for Squares and Sharps. <laughs>